end of the day, that's that's what we're all here to do is be a better you. And, and us as women working in sports, there are so many women out there. All right, fans, it's game time with Women Wins. That's women working in sports with Sarah and Sarah. I'm Sarah without an H. And I'm Sarah with an H. And we are Women Wins, helping all women win in the sports industry. All right, friends, we're back. Game two with Women Wins. Just reflecting on last week, it's pretty amazing that we put out our first full podcast. And if you got the chance to listen to Celia, how awesome was her feedback? I mean, everybody should be able to really reach in and find their authentic self. And I feel like I've already used our conversation in my daily life since we talked to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I even, um, I was doodling the other evening and I wrote down a couple of her quotes because I went back and listened to the episode again. It's just, you know, you get, you never know when you're going to get inspiration from somebody. Um, and that was a really good conversation. So looking forward to having her again. So thank you for coming back and let's talk about what news happened this past week, Sarah. Some, um, some history being made. You know, I love that history keeps being made, and uh, we'll tie this in a little bit to last week. We talked about Sarah Thomas being the first female to referee in the Super Bowl. And some more exciting Super Bowl news uh, coming up since the Super Bowl is going to be very soon. Um, This is going to be the first time that a team has two female coaches on the sideline. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the only team in the NFL to currently have two females on their staff so they've got the Buccaneers are the only team with two female coaches they have a defensive line coach and a strength and conditioning coach on their staff and really this just goes back to females paving the way when last season the 49ers have offensive assistant coach Katie Sowers when she made history when she was the first woman and openly gay coach to coach in the Super Bowl. So not just one, not just two, but three women going to be on the sidelines for the Super Bowl this year. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty remarkable. So um, as we look at current day news, but I mean, it is, it opens your hiring pool. It's um, we've talked about this. We, we share it on our website. You know, you, you allow more creativity and more efficient. I mean, just there's a lot of things that come in place. So that is really exciting. So we wish them luck and we hope that everybody tunes in and checks those, um, check the women out out there that are winning in the Super Bowl on February 7th, I believe. That brings us to our Sarah and Sarah off the court. This week, my off the court that it really helps me out is my, um, but I said this with Celia last week. My longest relationship is 13 years with my dog, my Shih Tzu Clover. She means a lot to me. Sarah is her nanny when Sarah goes out of town. <laughs> um, but uh, she just, I tell you, she's a very unique dog. She doesn't do much but snore and eat and eat treats. Um, but I want to share a funny story. Yesterday, I had to get her to the groomer. And 
with the transition, when I went through the move, I haven't had any luck finding a good groomer. So I took a chance of going to the town next to Moorhead to a groomer. And then that way I can have a lunch meeting and we're sitting there. I take Clover to the groomer. I go to the lunch meeting. I'm having a you know, conversation about future plans, things like that. I get a call. I missed the call. Then I get a text from the groomer saying, can you please call me? So I'm like worried, like what happened? Because Clover is not, she's got her own attitude. And so I um, called him back. They said that they wouldn't let her cut her back legs. So I had to rush back to the groomer. I had to hold her down um, to get that done. I guess that really just shows you that she's got sass and attitude, even 13 years old. So anyways, the ride home takes about 20 minutes and just thinking just how lucky I've had this little sinker with me for 13 years. And she just keeps, keeps going hard. So I'm very lucky. I joke around and tell Sarah all the time. I wonder what is actually going through Clover's head throughout the years that she's been with me. I love seeing your all's bond. She's definitely your little girl. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And she snores like a freight train. So <laughs> I remember one time I was watching her and I had to actually like pat her on the head to get her to wake up because she was snoring so loud. <laughs> so I wish one day I had um, such you know, the deep sleep that the deep sleep that Clover has. Anyways, what's your off the court this week? My off the court this week is kind of short and simple. I was just going to talk about how much I enjoy running. Um, so I've always wanted to be a runner. Um, the sports I played, long distance running wasn't really part of that training. And it takes a lot, you know, like for everybody who's like, I want to be a runner. It took probably two months just to get into a habit of long distance running. It was a lot of slow two mile runs in the beginning. Um, a lot of days where I just didn't want to do it anymore, but um, I had signed up. I had run two half marathons before, but not really trained. And last uh, winter, so I guess 2019, <laughs> I guess it was, it was, I actually read uh, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And she talks about running the Disney half marathon in that book. And I was like, well, that could be fun. So I signed up, my husband and I, we decided we were just going to make a little mini trip out of it. That was in April, 2019. And so this, this just shows how hard it is to start. I started training probably in like mid June after signing up and I really went hard, was running six to eight miles every day, sometimes getting into 10 miles every day. And I think it was, it was a time that I just felt very decompressed in life like I felt like those runs really helped me helped me out um I'm not training for anything currently but I still would prefer long runs to probably any other workout it just makes me feel good and now uh that we have Molly Molly likes to run with us to our, our lab mix so that's been fun which leads me into our playlist of the week I'm going to share with you some of my favorite running playlist songs and Sarah I'm a little weird or at least that's what people tell me um I run to the same playlist every time um oh. I, 
when I was training for that half marathon, at least the first hour was always the same and it helped me to be able to pace my my miles so i knew I like that i would be done with a mile about this point in the song every time and i could be a little bit faster a little bit slower and as i started adding miles on i started adding songs um but i'm going to just share five of my always on my playlist songs first one is seven rings by ariana grande i love that song i don't know what it is about it but it just makes me in a good mood um the next one is Hollaback Girl, Gwen Stefani. Oh, yeah. With the throwback there. Uh, if you don't want to just run fast when you hear that song, I don't know. Uh, it just makes me, like, speed up every time that song comes on. The next one is another one that just, I think, increases my, my speed is High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. That's another one that the good beat one. is just really good to run to. Next, we've got Don't Let Me Down by the Chainsmokers, which is kind oh, yeah. of a weirder one for running, but I like the beat. I like the like, near, near, near sounds in it. Ooh, near, near, near. Exactly. Um, and then the last one is Just Like Fire um, from Pink Sings It. And it's from the Alice in Wonderland soundtrack. And I love Pink. She's probably one of my favorite artists. Definitely one of the best performers I've ever seen uh, live in concert. So, so you yeah. You saw her live? Where'd you see yeah. her live at? Yeah, in 2019, it was my birthday present, my 30th birthday present from uh, my brother, my sister, and my sister's boyfriend. Uh, they oh. got tickets to see her at Rep Arena, um, and Matthew was able to go with me. And, and he didn't really know Pink that well, but even he was, like, amazed by, I mean, she's, like, flying through the air. She's, like... Mm -hmm. she's doing it all she is so awesome I would see her again hands down no question yeah she's definitely very athletic I've um I don't know if I watched a documentary on that or something but it showed shots of probably it probably was around that same time that whole concert and the you know the show part was her flying through doing acrobatics yeah and one of the things I love too is like pink doesn't have just like your typical performer body type you know she's very athletically built mm -hmm. like you said and and she's a very big advocate for making sure that you just accept your body for for who it is and she told this story when she was in ex accepting an award at a show one time about how her daughter um like didn't want it was something about didn't want to cut her hair because she didn't want to look like a boy or something and mm -hmm. people just like you can look however you want and I aside from being a great performer I just think she's a great advocate for yeah. being a strong woman yeah that brings up a good point and I know um we talk about a lot of different things on here I finished this whole first season on Amazon called the wilds Okay. And I'm telling you something, somebody else I heard was recommending it. I watched it and it is, it's a lot to do about deep, you know, situations as a young woman, they're lost on this Island. I'm not going to go through a lot of detail. You should check it out. I mean, it's definitely, um, it's interesting to see the survival and how they go through it. And so I highly recommend that if you have Amazon prime, yeah, I love some pink. You made me think of pink. And then you made me think of that. 
<laughs> but uh, all right, talk about inspiration this week. So I'll I'll give you what uh, how I was inspired. Not only was I inspired by Celia and our guests that we're going to share with you today. Um, we Women Wins is very fortunate. We got chosen to participate in a female co-starters program for the Appalachia area here. And um, there are several women, a part of this organization, different uh, businesses such as retail services, uh, you name it. Uh, there's a lot of different representation. We had a couple meetings this week you know, and it's so cool. And I've shared this before. When you have different people around the table, no matter if they're in sports or not, like you can put that creative hat on and find inspiration. And there are several notes and it, the workbook of co-starters is, is really cool. It helps you start your business and you learn all the different areas that you need to cover. So even um, Sarah had practice and a couple of things to see earlier in the week. So she wasn't able to make it with me, but I was sending her all these pictures and notes and ideas. And she was probably telling me to stop texting her, but um, it is cool. It's very good inspiration. So I'm looking forward to the 10 week program. Yeah. And I think it really just shows that, no matter what you're doing, you can always grow. And so even if you're good at something, take those opportunities for professional development or networking. Um, sometimes even if you're not learning anything, you're still networking and meeting people. And that's, that's yeah. one of the, the biggest things for developing a business, developing your personal brand, your career uh, is networking. Yes, meeting connections and people that can help you out. And it was so cool during the conversation. We had breakout rooms because it was all virtual and they're sharing information. Like this one lady, she was like, I got stuff. I can connect you with this person, this person, this person. And that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my inspiration of the week is kind of an emotional one just to, to give a heads up to everybody. Um, but Last uh, Sunday, on uh, January 24th, uh, we found out that Chris Bierman, who uh, is a big name in the volleyball community, he was currently the director of Lexington United Volleyball, passed away after battling COVID really hard for almost a month, just had a, a struggle that I think we all kind of hoped wasn't going to be real. We all were really hoping he would make it through, but it's been a rough week in just seeing how much of a total loss it is. And it's because of his impact that he made before he was the director uh, at Lexington United. He coached at university of Kentucky. He coached at uh, Pitt, and he had a lot of, of women that he impacted in his life. Um, and not just women, players in general. He's a great standout player at Ball State where he met his wife, Mary Beth, who was also a volleyball player there. And I just, I know that he impacted me in my life and I know that he impacted others even more. I think that it's a really good message of just when you live your passion that you can just impact so many people. And I believe it so much that Chris's favorite place was to be in the gym. And uh, I always love seeing him and Mary Beth uh, in the gym together, just 
working with girls, sharing volleyball. I mean, just simply what he did for volleyball in, in Lexington, in my hometown, which needed him to really grow it. Um, it won't be forgotten. We'll miss him for sure. Prayers to their family and to the whole organization. And COVID is a, it's a tough thing. And hopefully soon we will have an answer for that. So I hope so too. And I know that anybody that knows him know that he would be like, stop being so emotional. <laughs> like he was always one of the toughest people I knew and a true badass. And so he would want us to be able to move forward. And um, which I think is, it's awesome that our guest today is, is who she is and our conversation is what it is because man, the people that she has impacted in her career is, is huge too. Our guest today is, is actually somebody that I've known for many years at a past chapter in my career. She, was, she became the women's basketball coach at East Tennessee State when I was there as an assistant athletic director of corporate development. And not only were we coworkers, we became such great friends because um, hopefully you'll be able to tell today by how much passion she carries. And I'm very excited for Sarah to have a chance to meet her um, and you know, hopefully learn and be inspired from her too, especially since they both are coaches. And um, without further ado, we would like to introduce to you our guest today on Women Wins, Dr. Brittany Azell, the head women's basketball coach at East Tennessee State University. Thank you, Dr. Azell, for joining us tonight. It's been so long since we've caught up, and we are so grateful that you are here with us. Thank you, and thank you for calling me doctor. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you are. I am. I am, and I only got that degree, so my brothers had to write it on my Christmas card. So, yeah, use it freely. Go for it. <laughs> See, I know that both myself and Sarah are so happy to have you with us, and um, we're going to talk a lot. We're going to talk about what you're doing right now. We're going to talk about your mantra, your mo your, um, what, what your vision is and how you coach your philosophy. Sure. And so we're going to get right down to it. All we're right. going to introduce something new because I feel like our listeners really need to know the background about who Brittany Azell is, right? Okay. And, and it's way more than a coach. And the last episode, we talked about learning from people who have lived it. Uh -huh. And I would definitely say you have lived it. So <laughs> we're going to kick it off to the rapid rundown. I'm going to give you a quick glimpse of what Coach Azell has accomplished and what she, how her career path has taken off. So back in time... When she was a student athlete, she wasn't just one sport, but a two-sport SEC student athlete, played both women's basketball and softball for University of Alabama. On the softball side, she was a two-time Golden Glove recipient and was a part of Alabama's first SEC championship team in 1998. On the basketball court, she was a four-year starter at the point. Helped the team to four consecutive NCAA Division I Sweet 16 appearances, ranks top 20 in career scoring, and if that's not enough, she is second in career assists and game started. She was also named to the second team All-SEC selection in 1998 and the SEC All-Tournament team in 1996. 
Her coaching career started at Alabama. She spent five years as assistant coach, focusing on recruiting. And then she got her first head coach job at the junior college level. After that, she moved on to University of Montevallo, a D2 program in Alabama. And then she traveled to Nashville and got her first head coaching job at the division one level at Belmont. After a couple of years at Belmont, she found her home at East Tennessee State in Johnson City, Tennessee, and is currently in her eighth season for the Buccaneers. When you say it like that, I sound 100 years old, but I'll take it. That's all right. That's all right. She's still, she's only 25. 20, um, 24 <laughs> yesterday. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so, we, I mean, just look at your background. I mean, absolutely amazing. When you think about what you've accomplished as a student athlete and now, in your coaching, there's got to be several chapters, things that you've learned, the, uh, the young women and, and men that uh-huh. you've influenced and inspired. So, um, you know, and another big thing about what Coach Zell brings to the table is her competitiveness. And you've uh, really showed that in your, uh, in your scheduling, your non-conference play. And I just want to name off a couple, uh, I, I shouldn't say a couple, because this list is, I mean, it's, it's no shy of numbers. I mean, Nausea. yeah, it's big. It's big. Yeah. It's big, but you bring the excitement. You bring the competitiveness. You're playing power five schools. You're playing South Carolina, Michigan State, Rutgers, Notre Dame. Uh, you played teams at home, UC, Duquesne, Michigan State. You beat Wake Forest on your home court. And then you open up the next season with University of Tennessee, play a very close game against mm-hmm. an in-state rival. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And you don't, you never let down. Yeah, it's important, you know, when when these kids get to be my age and, and you guys will soon to be that age too, you will never remember the scores of the games. You won't. It won't matter. But you'll remember all the experiences and the opportunities you had to compete. And, and that's pretty much everything our program is predicated on is competition. Everything in your life is going to be about competition. You're going to compete for jobs. You're going to compete for, for better salaries. You're going to p- compete for homes. You're going to compete for everything in your life. Um, so learn to do it in a controlled environment. Learn to do it when there are actually people clapping for you. Uh, because when you get out of it, there aren't going to be anybody, uh, isn't, isn't going to be anybody standing around applauding uh, a job well done. You just do your job. So it's, it's a lot of fun for our kids. They remember it. They remember the experience. They remember the fans. But more than that, it's a way to build our brand at East Tennessee State University or whatever university that I'm working at. It's always bigger than me. It's always bigger than our program. What a cool opportunity for our marketing department to be able to market those home games. What a cool oh, yeah. opportunity for our ticket people to be able to go out to, to donors and say, hey, buy tickets for this game or, or be a corporate sponsor for this game. And what a cool opportunity to recruit students to the university um, because we are now in homes on you know, ESPN3, on ESPN2. Uh, all, your, all your regional channels are picking up our games. And we're getting brand exposure that you wouldn't get if you just chose to schedule a little um, less competitively. So it's bigger than just our program. I, I recognize that. And, and what we try to do in scheduling is echo the vision of our president um, and echo the vision of our university. And that's to um, better the lives of the people in the 
um, region of Appalachia, where we are, and to, uh, to really promote the ETSU brand nationwide. Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, there, there was a number, and I was reading your bio, and Sarah's telling me about you, and it says that you have increased your ticket sales revenue by 3,088%. And I'm, I'm serious. I like zoomed in on my computer because I was like, there's going to be a decimal in there somewhere, right? Like 3,000%. <laughs> No, <laughs> but it's, it's cool to hear that you're thinking of the university as a whole in, in this scheduling too. And, and obviously you're, you're thinking about what it's doing best for your team as well. And like Sarah said, we also make sure that we're trying to schedule uh, co good competition for our team. We want to prepare them and, and give them the opportunities to work through a struggle. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of my first question is, how do you help your team in managing their expectations for what success means in a tough competitive situation like that? Yeah, I think it all comes down to what do you define as winning? Um, you know, in the COVID era, winning is opting in and, and being able to compete on a daily basis. You know, winning is a student athlete um, who didn't see success early in the classroom, you know, pulling out a 2.5 or a 2.7 or, you know, what do you define as winning if, as coaches, if, if we are solely focused on a scoreboard and we live and die with the scores of every game, we're going to die a lot and we're going to suffer a lot and it's hard. Um, but it goes back to what I said earlier is that it's not about all the wins and losses. They're awesome. And that's how we keep our job. Yeah, absolutely. But my philosophy on it is that at the end of my life, I'm not going to answer for the score of the Tennessee game. My win loss record is not going to be on my tombstone. And if it is, I'm going to be super irritated at whoever buried me. Um, we, we have to answer for the impact that we make on the lives of the people around us. And I feel that way in my job. Now, am I always in tune with that myself? No, um, because like Hacker said, I'm probably one of the most competitive people ever. And it's difficult when you're not seeing success. Um, and that success is what kids typically see, wins and losses. But do I see growth? You have to take each kid where they are, meet them where they are, and try to take them to the place that they don't even realize they can go themselves. And the only way to do that is to stretch them competitively, to challenge them in ways that they didn't think they were going to be challenged at our level. So um, I like to, to take a, a, a quote out of the movie um, Fight Club. You guys, Fight Club, Brad Pitt. All right. So yeah. aside from just staring at him the entire movie, like, there's a line in it that says, how do you ever know about yourself unless you've been in a fight? And when we go into these games, you have to look at it as like, you're really going to have to fight this. They may be bigger, faster, stronger. They've got better facilities. They've got more money. So what? Find out who you are. Go in there and fight every day. And there's two things that we tell our kids all the time, coach. It's, I will not coach your attitude. And I will not coach your effort. And if you are all Americans in attitude and effort, the scoreboard doesn't matter and I will never complain. And, and that's how you kind of keep them moving is, you know, don't focus on the other stuff. You know, the outcome is, is not the focus. The process is the focus. The growth is the focus. Um, you know, don't, don't really, I don't really get real hung up on confusing my, my methods with my mission. Okay. My mission is to grow these kids. My methods are just how we go about it, but we're trying to grow young people. That's what we're doing. 
Absolutely. I'm going to go back real fast because I'm a little biased about this. Yes, I know. I know. I know you increased the ticket sales. I don't know if our listeners know, Brittany and my, we actually worked together for about a year and a half. And um, I, I did a lot of marketing and a lot of promotions. So maybe a lot of that increase was in your first year and a half. <laughs> it was a lot of that increase went from, uh, truthfully, it was from year one to year three. So absolutely. Um, okay. In year in year one, when we took over, um, I inherited a program that had hit some hard times. Um, it had struggled. There were some things that were beyond a lot of people's control that just needed to be adjusted in terms of culture. Um, I think we had 30 some odd season ticket holders when I took over. Um, It had kind of dwindled. My second year, we went from nine and 21 to 21 and nine. It was the second biggest turnaround in the NCAA that year. And then following that, um, that second year when we went to the postseason, we really started building on it. So yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that, that Sarah was a big part of uh, that big number, but that big number is not mine. You know, they always put these numbers on, you know, coaches. Um, the only number that's really mine, guys, and I tell our players this, the only number that's really mine are the losses. I shoulder those for the kids. The wins are the kids. The, the, the wins are theirs. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say the graduation rate is mine, but it's not. That goes to our academic support. It goes to the work the kids put in, you know, the season ticket sales. That goes to our development office and our ticket managers and our marketing. You know, we get more credit than we deserve and we get more blame than we deserve too. And neither one of them caused me to lose a lot of sleep. So it's all good. <laughs> I, I love that, that whole thing you just said, because I think it's such an important concept in us as coaches is to let them know how much more in control they are of themselves than they think they are. Like just how, how much of an impact they individually have, you know, like it's great when we can feel like we make an impact and in many ways we do, but you know, when they say thank you for something you said, or thank you for making me feel better about this, you know, just being able to tell them all I did was remind you what you should already know about yourself. Yep. We're, we're, a, we're a very strange mirror for these kids. Um, we have to reflect back to them who they were intended to be, not who they are at that moment. So we're, we're a strange mirror, uh, almost like a, you know when you go to the carnival and all the different mirrors, they don't even recognize themselves the way that we see them. Um, so we have to make sure that we're reflecting back who they were intended to be and who we foresaw them to be when we started recruiting them. Um, our general philosophy is that these kids are learning how to live by being taught how to play. And so they have to understand that when I'm correcting you, I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to change a behavior because nowadays kids want to try to talk themselves out of things that they've behaved themselves into. So we've got to make sure that they understand. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at what you did. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in your choice. You know, it's never for me to judge another human being, but it is for me to correct and critique as a coach. That is my job. And the people that I believe care the most about us give us discipline. They give us structure. They give us rules. And sometimes they protect us from them, from ourselves. Um, but more importantly, like I said, we have to be that very strange mirror that they may not recognize. Um, but when they walk across the stage and you put that mirror out there, they do see themselves for who they really are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
I just have like chills. <laughs> I, just lo- I just loved everything you just said. I, I think it's an important message all coaches need to hear. So. I appreciate sure. it. For sure. And I, I do want to touch on this as well. Um, I think our listeners, if there's young coaches out there and, and they can listen to somebody that has done a remarkable job in their community, you know, being a former resident of Johnson City, um, you know, part of that time, I was in a, you know, a part of the East Tennessee State Athletic Department. The other part, I was um, taking those other chapters in my career, but still had my connection. And I can tell you that Coach Zell was out in the community and she was building relationships and partnerships and uh, touched on that. Like, tell, tell the listeners why that is so important to you. Well, I think mostly it's important to me because I've been given so much in my life. Um, And you kind of go with the mantra that to whom much is given, much is required. And I don't just mean monetarily. I don't mean in terms of jobs or salary. I mean support. I mean people that have encouraged me, people that have challenged me, even people that have picked apart things that I've not done well. It's made me better. Um, But I am a public school employee. I am. My salary, our student athlete scholarships are all funded by, you know, state money or by donors. And for me to think that I should live in an ivory tower and not be down uh, amongst everybody, that is just completely tone deaf and out of touch. Um, I enjoy being out in the community. I I enjoy being able to give back um, because, you know, someday somebody's going to have to give to me. Um, I just think that we were put on earth to help one another. I I just believe that this is my platform right now, but it won't be forever. Um, There's, you know, two kinds of coaches, coaches that have been fired and coaches that are going to get fired. It's just, it's just who you are. And when you do leave, you know, what kind of legacy did you leave with people? You know, and I I think that's where people get hung up and they think legacy is something you leave for people. No, it's something you leave with them. It's something that stays with them. It stays in their heart. It stays in their mind. And it challenges them to continue that legacy of reaching out to others. You know, just, you know, pick up the phone when somebody calls, you know, answer an email, say hi, don't, you know, don't be afraid to do those kind of things. I mean, Heck, if you just look on the screen, Hacker smiles more than anybody I ever ever met, you know, and that's what's so endearing, you know, is it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to impact another human being. Be just an authentically good human being. Mm-hmm. Just try. Mm-hmm. Just, just try. And when you do that, they're awful forgiving if, as a coach, you don't win a whole heck of a lot or you go through a rough patch or you've got some players hurt or you're going through covid you find out that people support people. They don't necessarily just support programs. Mm-hmm. So you've got to make your program very personal. It's got to mean something. It's got to be connected to your fan base. Um, and if you're not, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. But you've got to connect with them and, and, and make sure that they understand you care as much about them as they do about you. Mm-hmm. I love that, you know, and, and you know, with, with my background, I've worked with a lot of head coaches and I've worked with head coaches that are more than willing to go out after a long day and visit with a civic group or a youth group. Um, I've also dealt with head coaches that might not see the time in that. Um, but 
I'm a big fan of grassroots marketing and you know that. And um, it's, it's definitely something that I lead with and, and it's a passion of mine. And, and so I, I think young coaches and even some veteran coaches can really see results if yeah. they put their feet on the ground and get out there. No. Uh, Everything's your job when you're the head coach. And if you think you're above something, that thing you think you're above, it will be the thing that takes you down. You think you're above scheduling? Guess what? Scheduling's going to bite you. You think you're above getting out of the community? Guess what? That community's going to bite you. So don't think you're above anything. If you're a young coach listening, don't sweep the floor. Just go sweep the floor. So that's right. No jobs too small. No jobs too small. Well, I feel like this is a, a good segue into something that you live by, and it's actually on your Instagram bio. Okay. My Instagram bio. This is terrifying. I'm gonna have to go look at it. No, no, oh, and I love to follow you because oh. honestly, before this whole idea came up, I told Sarah this summer. I said you need to follow my girl Brittany. <laughs> I was like, she will inspire you. You'll get ideas. You know, as for recruiting, as <laughs> did I not, Sarah? Uh, she did, oh. and I did, and I did follow you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Stalker. Thank you so much. That's awesome. <laughs> right, so all our listeners, make sure to follow at Brittany Azell, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y, E-Z-E-L-L. Don't forget it. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on. Anyways, we're going back to this. There's okay. a quote. There's a quote on your bio. It sticks with me. I teach my interns. I teach my staff all the time. I have these conversations. I make them go through different practices where they share with me five things every day. Make a list. I want to know what you're grateful for. The okay. quote is, happiness doesn't make you grateful. Gratefulness makes you happy. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I guess, you know, you either fall into one of two schools of thought that everything's a miracle or nothing is. And to me, everything pretty much is, um, you know, to, to live the life that I have, to have the family that I have, the friends that I have, even the people that, you know, I, I don't know that follow me on Instagram. I mean, I hope that that affects them in a way that they recognize the more we're grateful for, the more we have to be grateful for. Um, you know, it's, it, it's crazy like that. It's just the way of the world. And I, I believe in it. I, um, I try to live by it. I do fall short. Um, I am not perfect, <laughs> but I, I do fall short. Um, but I, I am, um, somebody that believes in having an attitude of gratitude. Um, it's something that's one of the hallmarks of our program. It's, it's one of our, uh, pillars of success and, and it's important. But uh, yeah, that, that's cool that you talk to your students about that. I could, I could probably go through my gratitude list. I like taking uh, gratitude walks and just having some time. Um, in the afternoons, I'll cut off the radio and just drive home in silence and try to listen to myself. Um, I think there's so many times as coaches, we talk to ourselves, um, but we don't take enough time to listen. And when I, I can really listen to myself, I recognize when I have fallen out of a grateful spirit and I become bitter, I become angry, um, I become really um, more self-absorbed than I want to be. When I'm, when I'm grateful, um, then I can help more people. When I'm not, I am so self-absorbed, it's embarrassing to even admit, um, but you know, being grateful allows me to take the focus off me. And when I do that, I feel a lot lighter. I feel um, better. 
Um, and I feel like I'm actually uh, living part of my purpose. So that's kind of my feeling on, on gratitude. So that's awesome. So something that we do actually with our team is we have a gratitudes board and they for practice, they go and they write something that they're grateful for. Um, So it can be anything from my mom to, you know, whatever it is. And it, it helps them to get into that mindset before practice of being in more of a positive and, and grateful mindset. I like to think of it as like, when you wake up in the morning, are you going to like put on your gratitude goggles? Like how you approach the day can, can determine how it goes. You could have the same day and you approach it with uh, a mindset of gratitude and it's going to be better just overall. Cause you're going to, like you said, you're going to see what is the positives of it instead of just constantly feeling bitter and, and heavy. I love that you called it. You feel light. I think that's such a good representation of what gratitude can just lighten up how you feel. Yeah, I completely agree. I I got asked this on on another interview. They said, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Um, The first thing I do in the morning is I laugh. I kind of giggle when I get up and and not, you know, because I've looked at how I look, you know, after after sleeping, I look a hot mess. But (laughs) I kind of giggle because something during the day is going to be challenging something is going to be funny, something's going to be out of my control, and something's going to be some nonsense that I can't do anything about, so I might as well just go ahead and giggle about it and be done with it, but uh, I told him, I said, I laugh, and then we tell our kids, your day will go the direction of the corners of your mouth. If If you're smiling when you wake up, or you're smiling when you're walking around, your day will typically pick up, but if you're walking around, woe is me, bottom lip dragging the ground, just upset all the time, your day's probably going to go that way. So the days typically go the direction of the corners of your mouth. So, and we don't allow our kids to ever tell us that they've had a bad day. I don't have bad days. I have bad moments. Um, but you know, my bad moments are something that somebody's wishing for. My bad days are somebody's dream days. And I have to recognize that. Oh, that's beast mode. Beast mode. I love it. I'll be able to put a trademark with a little circle around it every time I say something, all right? I better not see this stuff floating around up there, all right? But not be any t-shirts or anything. I'm just saying. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build this content. I mean, that sticks with you. Like, Absolutely. So, you know, talk about how do you, how do you use, you know, your practicing gratitude as for, you know, using that with your assistant coaches and your staff. And um, do you guys do that with your team? Yeah. So, you know, when you're a head coach, you're responsible for everybody, but most importantly, you're responsible to everybody. Um, So I essentially have two teams. I have my, my student athletes or our student athletes, and then I have my staff. My staff is, is remarkable. And my job is to train them for their next job. You know, people ask me all the time, well, you have coaches leave and they take other jobs. Well, here, there's two ways to look at it. What if I train them up and they leave and get a better job? Okay. Well, what if I don't train them and they stay? Now my program is very stagnant. So as a head coach, you can't be afraid to hire smart people and let them work. When my coaches have a scout, when we do radio shows or I do interviews, they get all the credit for it. It's not me. It's not me. And I praise them in public. If I have an issue, it's in private. It's the same thing with our, our student athletes. You try to praise them in public and, you know, you disagree in private and, and it's always, uh, either them, us, or me. 
Um, so they win. If anything goes great, they did it. If anything goes average, we did it. If anything goes bad, that's me. I did it. It's my fault. It's my responsibility. So um, I think the, the best way to show gratitude for my, to my student athletes and, and for my coaches is to um, protect them and to, to bear the brunt of anything that might go wrong and to celebrate small things when they do well. You know, when, when my assistants ace their NCAA compliance test, you know, pumped, let's talk about it. That's awesome. You know, when a, when a kid that's not a great student, heck, gets up and goes on time. All right, yes. You know, and the, the generation that we're in now, they like the public praise. They want it on my Instagram. They want it on Twitter. They want, if I had a TikTok, I'd do a dance for them. I don't, I don't. So don't get excited. You can't look it up. No, 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 no. There was a TikTok, there was a TikTok that my players did. I was conned into that and I did it because it was a holiday. All right. It was your Thanksgiving dance. Just because it was a holiday. Okay. It was tryptophan. Something took over my brain. I don't know what happened, but I try to, um, I just try to praise them when they do well and you know, when they don't do well, I try to shoulder anything that might rain down on them. Um, when we recruit these kids or when I go to hire, my first job is to protect them. That is my first job because my student athletes and yours as well, they are girls trapped in women's bodies. They don't know. They don't, they don't know. And so the best way I know to let them know I appreciate them is that I'm willing to stick my neck out for you. And I'm willing to say, hey, put it on me. You have no responsibility when it comes to certain things. Let me handle it. Let me handle it for you. I will take that burden and shoulder it. We're talking about that as for girls and women's bodies, right? So yeah. talk about player development. Like okay. what are you teaching these women off the court? Like as for life. Golly, it's, it's a lot of it is what, what are they teaching me? I mean, I can TikTok now and I can, yeah. I, mean, I, I got all this stuff. No, um, you know, there's certain things that we recruit, um, Sarah, and it's certain abilities. We recruit uh, dependability, accountability, and responsibility, okay? If you come to our program, we already know that you can play basketball. Everybody knows that. You can run, you can jump, you can play. We get that. Are you dependable? Are you accountable? Are you responsible? And if you're not, we've got to train you with those abilities. That's a big thing. What we tell parents when we're recruiting them is we, we tell parents this. I know that their daughter is the best thing they've ever done. They can't start over. They can't do it again. That is the greatest gift they've ever been given. And my impossible task is to take that perfect gift and make it better. It's got to, she's got to be a better woman. She's going to be better educated because of our university. She's going to be um, better competitively because of our program. But most importantly, she's got to be better equipped to handle life outside of her mama and daddy's roof. Mm -hmm. And so we do financial literacy education. We do those things. We talk to them about um, interview skills and presenting themselves and etiquette class. And, you know, we're different. Um, with the way that we do our scheduling. A lot of coaches will say, hey, you can't major in this because we have practice. No, I let our kids major in whatever they want, and then I find two hours to practice. You're going to be whatever you want, you know, for years and years. You're only going to be a basketball player for four. So it's getting them to understand this is just a vehicle to get you to where you ultimately want to go. And in doing that, you have to have people around them not just your staff, but your support staff um, that are mentoring and modeling. And we tell our staff, 
if we want our players to be a woman, then they need to see a woman. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that every day. And in order to do that, don't be, you know, disingenuine. If something hurts and something bothers you, okay. But let them see how you handle it. Let them see how you deal with adversity and disappointment and how you celebrate. Um, let them see you straighten another woman's crown, not knock it off her head. You know, those are the things that we want to see. Um, we tell our players all the time, be a remarkable teammate. I don't care how many points you ever score, be a fantastic teammate. That's it. That's it. And if we as women will carry that into the workforce, let's be great teammates to one another. Let's build one another up. Let's talk about one another in rooms that people didn't even know existed. And when we get in the room, let's crack the door open for somebody to come behind us. And when that door opens wider, let's have some more high heels walk in there. So there's some things that correlate from athletics to the business world to, you know, athletic at men or however you want to do it. But it all starts with those abilities, dependability, accountability, responsibility. And then straighten your crown, girl. Stand up. Let's go. Straighten your crown. Straighten your For crown. all those listeners, I'm straight. I do have a crown in my house. Like, do you, I, I, do you I, see surprise anywhere on my face? Look, look, this is my shock face. I'm more surprised she's not wearing it right now, honestly. I was hoping for it, but, you know, it is what it is. So. I think that's the, the point of that statement, though, is so important because it can be very easy to push others down, to push yourself up, mm-hmm. and and teaching them that, like, she doesn't have to do bad for you to do good. Correct. And you can both do good, and that's right. totally okay. Well, I mean, you correlate that to even sometimes when you play, Sarah. I mean, you guys might have played really, really well, but you still lost. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you're bad. It just means somebody was a little bit better on that day. Fine. What people have to understand is there's a difference between being beat and losing. I can take getting beat. I gave you my best effort. I did everything I could to win. And the other team was just better that day or the other candidate was just better. Great. Losing is that I didn't give my best, my best attitude, my best effort, my best level of execution. I can't take losing. I can take it if you beat me. I can't take the losing. Can't take it. That's great. I'm just sitting here daydreaming. Just oh. soaking it all in. Right? Bring it on. <laughs> I think I have a full sheet of notes already. Oh. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm going to go straight to the point right here. All right, bring it on. What keeps you coming back every day? Doing what you do. Inspire. You're a mentor. You're doing oh. good things. <laughs> what, what keeps me going back for it is that um, when I wake up, you know, I know that there's one kid that I was destined to reach. And I don't know which one it is. I don't know if I've already had her. I don't know if she's here right now. I don't know if she'll be here next year. But there's one. There's, there's one person in, in my career that I'm supposed to reach that's going to impact the world, and i got to figure out which one it is. There you go. Maybe the next vice president. Maybe the next president. I would dig that. I would be down for that, and I would probably get us all tickets to the inauguration. It'd be cool. I'd, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. So, but, you know, I've had student athletes that play for me that have gone on that are doctors, teachers, some that I got one that uh, she owns her own CrossFit studio. I think that's hilarious because she hated working out. I've got police officers, I've got pharmacists, I've got, you know, business leaders. So you just don't know which one you were intended to impact. And so you try to impact them all. And 
hope that everything you did was enough and everything you did was according to the plan that was bigger than you. I know you're, I know you're making big things happen and, um, <laughs> no, you are. I mean, just our friendship you inspired. I can't imagine if I played for you. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's times that they hate me and I tell them that I said, you know, and I can live with that, but just know that I go to bed every night and I do love you. Whether you hate me or not, I do love you. And everything I do is because I want better for you. And I want better for you. So, you know, I heard this thing similar to that when it came to coaching and it was, they might not see the impact that you made until they're gone, until they're out of your program. And and if you're in a job, you know, they might not see that impact for a couple of years, but if you, you lay off of that, then they're never going to see the impact that you made. But yeah, it's, uh, we tell them all the time, I said, I, I would rather, I would rather, you know, smack you across the face with the truth than kiss you with a lie. And I'm going to tell you the truth as best I know it. And uh, I think the thing that our players appreciate the most is if I make a mistake, I will own it. Um, if I get on you and, and going back to something and you didn't make that mistake or I was wrong, I got no problem saying I was wrong. I'm, I'm wrong more often than, you know, people want to actually say coaches are wrong. We're wrong a lot. It happens, but you know, you, you've got to be, have enough humility to actually own it. You know, that brings up a good point. And I think that it needs to be a lesson out there. Uh, one thing I feel that I am proud of is that I try to be the realest of the real, right? right. I obviously know characteristics about being polite and professional and things like that. But I think one thing that's helped me is how real I am. Sarah is very real. You are real. Like, you know, and, and I think young, you know, these young adults making moves, trying to find the next job, you know, one, you don't want to get a job to look for the next job. You know what I'm saying? Let's live in the moment. Let's be genuine and real. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the thing about it. If you make the big time wherever you are, the next job will find you. Yes. I mean, it, it really will. And, you know, I get asked a lot, Sarah, like, what's my dream job? And, and my answer is always the same. I don't dream about work. I don't have a dream job. This is my dream job. My last job was my dream job. They all are, you know, cause there's so many people out there that don't have a job that would give anything to have a job. So who am I to say, this is my dream job. This is, I don't dream about work. I dream about not having to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're always looking for that next best thing, that next best dream job, then you're never going to be happy in the moment where you agreed. are in that position. Mm-hmm. 100% agreed. I mean, I, you know, I can't keep my, uh, you know, we were softball players here. You can't keep your eye on the ball and be looking, you know, down the third baseline. You, you got to stay focused on what's coming and what's right in front of you. And, you know, you either take your best swing or you don't. So you'll never, you'll never take a full swing at something if you're always looking for the next pitch. Focus on this one. Let's hit this one. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. You've taught us a lot of lessons on nope. this okay. interview, but what would be the biggest lesson you've learned along the way? The biggest lesson I've learned along the way as a coach, uh, as a person. What do you think, Sarah? I think as a person. I think a person too, because who you are as a person defines who you are as a coach. So, Biggest, biggest lesson that I've learned. Golly, that's tough. That's it tough. Is. I don't, I don't know if it was a, a lesson learned. I think it was something um, that I observed and started observing it a long time ago from my mom. And what ultimately matters is how we treat people. 
And I think you just have to stay with that. What, what ultimately matters is how we treat people. And what are your intentions when it comes to others? You know, are you a user? Are you somebody that uses other people to get things that you want? Are you somebody that doesn't form genuine relationships? You know, my, 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 uh, my circle of friends is so small, it's a period. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, don't I, I keep my close friends really close. I'm acquaintances with a lot of people. I'm friends with a lot of people, but my circle is very tight. And a lot of it is, you know, how do we treat people? How do, how do you treat people? And, and when you walk out of the room, what's said? And what I, what I tell people all the time is when you walk in a room, you're giving everybody a certain kind of hell. It's either, oh, hell yeah, she's here, or oh, hell no, here she comes. <laughs> So, so you've got to decide every day, what kind of hell are you bringing? Oh, I can't wait to use that in life. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you're giving the room the right kind of hell. All right. That's what I I want. I want to know. What does the room do when I walk in? Yep. What kind of of hell's coming when, when you walk in the room? Yep. All right. All right. Well, this is cool. This is, I think that come that concludes our serious stuff, All right. but we always end our interview. That was serious stuff. That was all serious stuff. Is that what that was? I Dang. Know. I thought it was going to be like in tears and this was going to be like a, you know, okay, I'm good. Let's move on. Do Maybe next stuff. time. Awesome. That'll be our goal. <laughs> all right. Next time. You got it. Well, this is a tunnel talk with Sarah and Sarah. All right. Okay, so lifestyle questions, what you enjoy, things that make you who you are off the court, right? So I'm going to ask a question, you're going to answer, Sarah's got the next one, so we're just going to flip-flop. All right, Um, what's your current on-repeat song? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Golly, current on-repeat song, Uh, Body by Megan Thee Stallion, I own it. I'll own it. I'll own it. I hope you wear your crown when you listen to that song. Girl, you don't even <laughs> want to know. You don't even want to know. It's, uh, yeah. Okay, I'll own it. That's It's on repeat. Yep, there it is. It's out there. Throw there it it out. Well, what's the best vacation that you've ever taken? Mm, best vacation I've ever taken. I don't, really, I don't really think I can pick one. Any vacation I've taken with my family those are all they all have really cool independent memories anytime I can be with my family that's the best vacation for me what's your go-to favorite meal go-to favorite meal I am a uh, a steak girl I am definitely a steak girl Uh, I want a uh, medium rare steak um, Oscar style with crab meat and asparagus I want um, lobster mac and cheese uh, and um, I want creme brulee for dessert. So that's me. Man, go big for sure. <laughs> go big. I mean, I, I thought it was a death row question. Was that not my death row question? You know? <laughs> What's my last meal? Was that not it? Okay, that was it. That was it. Definitely go to favorite. What's the most memorable sports moment that you remember participating in when you were an athlete? Sure. 1995 um, NCAA tournament my freshman year um, with basketball. Um, we beat Duke 121 to 120 in four overtimes, which was the longest NCAA tournament game in history. Um, and it was, like I said, my freshman year and I had to hit two free throws with one second on the clock in third overtime to take it to the fourth. 
and I'll remember that game as long as I live. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I was very tired, so I'll remember <laughs> that one. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. What were you thinking when you were on that free throw line? Well, the funny part about that game is um, the foul that occurred to put me on the free throw line, I shattered a girl's nose. It, um, oh. I had come down with a rebound, and she reached in underneath me, and I turned, and my elbow took her nose off from here and laid it to the side of her face. Um, so the game was paused for quite some time to get her off the floor to, and I'm in tears. I feel horrible. And I go over to my head coach, to Coach Moody, and, and he knows that I'm, I'm panicked at this point. And he goes, I will take you to see her in the hospital. You've just got to make these two free throws. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And, and we did. We went to the hospital after the game uh, to see her. She had to have reconstruction done. Um, it, it was one of the best moments of my life and one of the most guilty moments um, that I've ever felt as an athlete. Wow. And yeah. one, of the, one of the grittiest, too, to do that and still make both free throws. Yeah, I, I don't even remember. I think I blacked out. I don't remember shooting it. I really don't. <laughs> Let's do a couple more. Back to you, Sarah. All right. <laughs> okay. What's the last book that you read? There, there's a bunch that I kind of flip through regularly, just cover to cover. Probably was The, Gar the Garden by John Gordon. But I have probably five or six different books on my desk. Um, and when something strikes me, I'll just pick it up and kind of thumb through it. Um, I have, a, I have, you know, your daily maxims or, or different things that I read, you know, your journals in the morning, but cover to cover, it would have been um, The Garden by John Gordon. Mm -hmm. Do you have a book that's like your go-to when you just want to relax and read? Is there one that you just constantly keep going back to? Um, if I, if I just kind of want to zone out, I'll read anything by John Grisham. He's my favorite. Um, I, I used to want to be a lawyer, so I guess I kind of gravitate towards that. Um, my favorite go-to book for work is called, uh, Leaders Eat Last, uh, by Simon Sinek. And, and I prefer those kind of books. Um, so that's, that's usually what I'm leaning towards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That brings up a great last question. Right. How would you describe your leadership? style? How would I describe my leadership style? I think I am a connector. I think I can connect your dreams with reality. I think I can connect people in a room together that didn't realize they had more in common than they had in difference. I think I can connect fans to a program. I think I can connect teams to a coach. And I think I can connect anybody that plays for me with winning in a multitude of ways. I believe that I am a connector and I like being the go-between. I don't want to stand at the top of the ladder, nor do I want to be at the bottom. I'll be somewhere in the middle to pull those up from the bottom and to push those to keep getting to the top. So uh, I think my style is very connecting. Uh, connecting. Mm -hmm. And today you connected with Women Wins. There we go. I'll take it. I will definitely <laughs> take it. Yeah, well, Coach, we are so, so happy that you joined us. This has been a lot of fun fun to catch up, but also um, for you to, you know, meet my good friend, Sarah, and, and I know that we'll be talking about this conversation for months, you know, and I think we got a lot of great feedback and notes that we're going to take these words of wisdom and uh, spread them like wildflowers to uh -huh. not only the people that we connect with, but the folks that are listening today. So, uh -huh. 
I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. What you're doing is a, is a labor of love and it's definitely servant leadership. So I admire that. And uh, when you describe your own leadership style, you definitely need to say that guys. It, it takes a lot of heart to serve others and to fill a void where people can, can really find themselves. And I think you guys are doing that. You can call on me anytime. Thanks, Brittany. You're welcome. Anything you need, you call me. Well, there you have it, everybody. That is game two in the books. Can you believe it, Sarah? Two episodes down, we have had great guests. I feel like we've really started this with the bang. You know, having Celia Slater last week, Coach Giselle this week. If you are not inspired, you better replay because there's so much inspiration that's going on here. Yeah, and you know, we're not here to talk X's and O's. We're not here to, to talk about the, the specifics of the sport. We're here to talk about opportunities. We're here to talk about environment. We're here to talk about growth of women in the sports industry. And Dr. Azell, Coach Azell, you, you brought that to us this week for sure. If you want more information about today's interview, please visit womens-wins.com. We have information about last week's podcast and this week with Dr. Azell. You can find out some great information about her and how to follow her. Follow us on social media at Women Wins. And when you go out there in the world this week, just remember from Dr. Azell, let them see you straighten another woman's crown. Do not knock it off. Let's go out wearing our crown, ladies. Wear that crown. We'll see you next week.